Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to count this as a good start. I did not trip up the steps, and I remembered to turn the mic on. So I'm, I'm thinking that is thank you for the applause. It's, it's those little things, right? Um, my name is Paul, and um, I really am excited to be here today and have an opportunity to, uh, to be part of this Ruth series, and especially to dive into this scripture. I guess I'm a little partial, but I think this is really good scripture today. So uh, I'm excited to dive in. I know particularly as I've been studying it, um, I've been convicted quite a bit, um, and so I hope that you're going to find yourself challenged in that same way today. Our theme today is centered on the idea of consistent obedience. But it's not obedience for the sake of following some set of rules or because we have some type of guilt weighing on us. But it's an obedience that stems from understanding God's love for us. We've been talking about this consistent, steadfast, hesed love that God has. And we're going to see that today as we continue on in the story with Ruth and Boaz of how that's being lived out, that obedience is being lived out in their lives and ultimately how it's going to point us directly to Jesus Christ, our only perfect example of living in loving obedience. And one of the other things we're going to see today is how God uses our obedience to do amazing things. The fact that he allows us to be part of his redemption plan, that he uses us in his story. And we're going to see that in the lives of Ruth and Boaz, and also how that's affecting us and how that's happening for us today. But before we jump in, let's take a moment, bow our heads, and let's pray. God, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today to study your word. I pray, God, during this short time this morning that you just allow us to clear our minds, just remove anything that might be weighing us down or distracting us from you, Lord, and allow us to hone in on what you want us to hear and what you want to teach us. Challenge us, God, uh, that as we're listening to the scripture today, that we look for areas in our lives where we've not been living in love, where we've not been obedient for your will. And as we listen, God, I ask that you help transform us right here so that we can start living lives that reflect your glory. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this series, we've been redefining love, right? We've been using this term hesed love, uh, which, as I said earlier, it's that steadfast, committed, one-way love, very different from what we typically look at in our culture. And as I was studying the scripture and throughout this series, it brought to mind the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with it or not. If you have kids, I would definitely pick it up. Um, even if you don't have kids, I learned a lot from this thing. Um, I, I'm about on par with four and five, right? So, um, but one of the things that it came to mind for me was the way they define God's Hesed love for us. And it's going to be up here on the screen. I love this definition. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Let me say that one more time. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Just think about that. That's how God loves us. There's nothing we can do to change that. Now, as we've been studying the book of Ruth, we've seen examples of this love being lived out, um, exhibited through Ruth, um, Naomi, and Boaz. We've seen Naomi. If you remember back to the beginning of the story, she had left uh, the promised land, where the land that God had set aside for them, went to Moab, lost her husband, her sons, 
She lost everything, but we saw her obedience as she turned back. She returned home to where God wanted her to be. We've certainly seen this in Ruth as well, the way she's committed her life to living obediently in service to Naomi, to committing herself to the one true God, turning away from all that she knew and following Naomi. And we've also seen this in Boaz. Um, From the first time he's been introduced, we see how he has been obedient to God's law, putting his love for God first and foremost in his life and how that's been impacting those around him. And it's that impact that really stands out to me as well. We looked last week at how it started impacting Naomi. Brian talked to us about Naomi being so desperate, so hopeless, but through this acts of, of loving obedience, Naomi starts seeing hope. She starts being able to come up with an idea that maybe there's a, an idea for redemption here for me and inspires her to start taking action. So we saw how Naomi was putting this plan together to have Ruth go Uh, using uh, God's laws of of this idea of a redeemer and go to the threshing floor and to ask Boaz to serve in that role. And that's where we pick up our story today. Naomi has sent Ruth. Ruth is there. Stage is set. And now we're going to see what happens. You can feel the tension building up. So if you haven't already, let's open our Bibles up to chapter 3 in Ruth, verses 6 through 18. We're going to walk through this a couple verses at a time. Starting in verse 6. So she went down, speaking of Ruth, to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Let's pause there for a second. Now, Brian last week took us through this, this really important uh, time of harvest, right? If you remember, again, back at the beginning of the story, there was famine in the land, uh, but now God has blessed his people. There's a harvest there, and there's a celebration. Boaz is there with his workers as the master of the field. He's making sure that the, uh, the grain is being taken care of, that the chafe is being removed, and you can see here that the celebratory side of this, they're acknowledging God's blessings on them. So then continuing on to the second half of verse 7, Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Ruth is obediently following Naomi's instructions. But the one thing I want to stress here, there's nothing improper or scandalous about this. Um, If you, uh, in several of the commentaries I was reading, I learned that at this time in, in culture, it was very common for a servant to lie at their master's feet. So it was an act of humility, a recognition of who the master was and their, their humble servitude towards them. And that's exactly what Ruth is doing here. And now we start getting juicy, right? This is where it all starts to come together. Verses 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So a lot going on here. Let's break this down a little bit. Let's, um, let's start with what Ruth is really asking Boaz to do. When she uses the language uh, to spread his wings, or in some of your translations, it may be 
to uh, spread the corner of his garment over her and be her redeemer, she's actually referring to the same language that was used in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 8. We're going to have that up on the screen as well. This is God talking to his chosen people and expressing his love and his commitment for them. And it reads, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Ruth is asking Boaz to make that same type of covenant right now, to show the same type of hesed love that God was showing his people in that passage in Ezekiel for her and for Naomi. To say that she's asking for something major is a pretty big understatement. I mean, this is changing their lives, all of them, dramatically. I also want us to think about Ruth, too, and where she's at at this point. She's very vulnerable, literally. I mean, she's risking absolutely everything. She is, we've, we've seen before, her status right now is at the lowest rung in the culture. She's a foreigner. She's a woman. She has no husband. And she's approaching someone who, if not at the very top, is pretty darn close. So she's risking it all. Right now, Boaz is the only reason they have food. It's the only reason that they have any type of protection. By her taking this step, she's really risking everything. What if he says no? It's very possible. He could say, eh, I don't think so, and then they're out. So in that vulnerability, though, she's still able to make this audacious move. But what allows her to do that? This isn't on a whim. She's not rolling the dice and crossing her fingers and saying, man, I hope this goes all right. She's actually basing it on the experiences and the love and the obedience that she's seen. It's certainly fueled by her love and obedience in serving Naomi and looking out what's best for her. So she's, she's willing to make that risk for her. We've seen early on that she's also accepted God, the one true God, and is following him, so she has faith in the Lord. And she also has faith in Boaz. She's known, she's seen him in action over these past few weeks and month, months, and knows that he's someone who can be trusted and respected, because he's lived out that obedient love consistently in following God's law. When I read that part and really started dissecting what Boaz was doing, it really made me take a hard look at myself. And I want to ask you guys that same question. When you look at your life, do you see a similar pattern to what Boaz is exhibiting? Are you living a life that reflects love consistently in all areas? Would people around you be able to take that type of bold step in faith because they know how you live. They know that you are adhering to God's word. Or are you more likely to get the, geez, who am I going to get today? And they sort of cringe in the back, right? Well, I can tell you, for me personally, I fell way short of this. Um, Fortunately, God's been working on me a little bit, but There were a number of years when uh, I was working down in Philadelphia, doing long days at work, long commute, really focused on my career. 
and there was nice guy Paul at work who did a pretty good job, everybody generally liked, and there was not so nice guy Paul at home, which probably should have been flip-flopped at least at the very worst, but that's what my life was like. And I really didn't see another way out of it. But during this time, uh, Bridget, uh, my wife, actually went to a conference, and she was all fired up. She came back, and she heard one of the speakers uh, say that her goal was to live consistently in all areas of her life. Now, when she told me this, I said flat out, that's impossible. I said, there's no way that that can happen. And I probably said it in a lot meaner voice than that. It wasn't very nice then. When I thought of that, I thought of how could I possibly be the same person, a loving person, let alone at work, trying to appease a demanding boss with demanding timelines for impossible things, manage employees, some might be good, most of them were kind of crazy, and then you get down to suburban station where you see a whole other level of crazy, right? How am I supposed to be that same guy? Yeah, you know, right? You've been to suburban station. Um, how am I supposed to be that same loving guy and then be that at home? And as I thought about it, I was right. There was no way that I could be that same loving, obedient person in all areas of my life. But the only reason I was right is because I was trying to do it on my own. Through my own power, no way. I couldn't do it then. I can't do it now. I cannot do that apart from God. And it's the same for all of us. If we separate ourselves there, we're never going to be able to live that consistent love no matter how hard we try. Fortunately for me, God was at work during that time. The Holy Spirit was starting to work me over a couple body blows here and there and soften me up a little bit. But he also was using my wife, Bridget, and her love for me, quite frankly, that I didn't deserve. Her patient obedience to the Word of God giving me an example to follow when I should have been the one giving the example. And God used that. He used that to start softening my heart, starting to transform me, starting to think about and really examine how I was living my life and what God was asking me to do. It was a spark just like the obedience of Boaz that allowed Ruth to take that step of faith. She was giving me that same example. So let's jump back to the story. Kind of left Ruth hanging there for a second, right? Literally at the feet of Boaz, all on the line. So what's going to happen? Well, fortunately for Boaz, he remained consistent in his behavior and his obedience to God's law. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, with this statement, Boaz has answered Ruth's prayer, right? You know, whew, okay, we're not getting rejected. Boaz is stepping up just as he's shown in every other area of his life, He's doing it here. And part of the reason he's doing that is uh, he recognizes from day one when he met Ruth that committed love that he had showed Naomi. When he mentions here, you've made this last kindness greater than the first, that first is her showing 
how much she loves Naomi and committing herself and changing her entire life, forsaking them, uh, forsaking what she had and following Naomi. But what she's doing now is really blowing the mind of Boaz. When we look at God's law, the way he set it up, Ruth and Naomi, basically with the husbands and, and sons dead, there was no chance for their family lineage to carry on. But God provided the law. He provided the Redeemer that if Boaz steps into that role, it's possible that Ruth and Boaz could have a child and their family line could be carried on. So what Naomi thought was dead, like there was no possibility here, now there's life being pulled out of that because of what Boaz is doing. And he's blown away by that. Ruth had options. She could have married another servant somewhere, somebody that she you know, thought was really attractive or just a really nice guy. But what she's doing, again, is setting aside her wants, her needs, her desires because of her love for Naomi. And I just kind of see Boaz's head, you know, it's kind of exploding a little bit, right? And you can see this in his response. He is truly touched and falling into a love that isn't based on just that attraction or, or what we typically look, like, you know, look at in our culture, but there's admiration and respect there for the way that, that Ruth has consistently lived her life in a godly way. Just as Ruth had recognized that pattern of consistency in Boaz, Boaz was doing the same with her. Boaz continues on here in verses 12 and 13 to continue to bless her. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, remember when this is happening, right? This isn't during the middle of the day. This is pitch black, middle of the night. Boaz was probably sleeping pretty good. He was working hard all day. He ate, he drank, they were partying. And now he's woken up startled, groggy, half asleep. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in that state, um, you know, my son Nicholas is sitting over there. He's kind of got these ninja skills. So in the middle of the night, he kind of worms his way in and somehow sneaks in between Bridget and I. But inevitably, I'll get some flying elbow and get hit in the face. Well, you know, that's me being woken up in the middle of the night. And at very best, he's getting a grumble. Most likely, he's getting an elbow back, right? We don't see that, fortunately, right? Boaz could have kicked her in the head and screamed. He didn't do that. What did he do? And this really blew me away the more I studied it. In that half-groggy state in the middle of the night, he went to God's word. Right? He could have been blown away by, wow, Ruth is here. I, I'm amazed by her. I'm falling in love with her. He could have acted on his emotions right there and said, let's do it. Let's get married. I'll redeem you. No problem. And that's, we'll work out the details in the morning. But he doesn't do that. He has the wherewithal to think of God's law. And where we see that here is he's talking about there's another redeemer, another relative who is closer to Ruth and Naomi. And by God's law... He, this closer relative, has that opportunity to be the redeemer first. So we see Boaz not acting on his emotions and what he might want to do. He's still putting God's law first. 
I wish I could do that coherently in the middle of the day when I am wide awake. Boaz is able to do it here in the middle of the night. And that example just certainly convicts me, and, and, and I think it's just a really powerful thing for us to try to model. Well, we see Boaz continuing to go further in verses 14 and 15. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. We see Boaz through these steps here further protecting Ruth. He's sending her out before it starts to get light, you know, so that early morning walk of shame time frame. We're like, oh, there's Ruth. What's she doing walking around, right? He's avoiding all of that and sending her out to protect her because nothing improper has happened here. And it's quite the opposite. An amazing uh, act of love has happened. So, again, much smarter than I would be. But we also see him giving a gift of grain. And he's doing that to help solidify his commitment to be that redeemer, to, to step up and play the role that's going to pull Ruth and Naomi out of the helpless situation that they're in. So now Ruth is on her way home. Just think everything has changed for them. Everything. Not even from the beginning of the story where, you know, husbands died, she's moving to this new land, but she had some, you know, some protection, some food. But now she took this huge step, and where there was really just hopelessness, now there's an opportunity for redemption. But that only came, it only came because of the way Ruth was living her life. That Hesed love that she was exhibiting, the way she was obediently living her life every day, it was recognized by Boaz. It allowed him to take that step, just as she recognized him, allowed her to take that step. Now, when she gets home, I was trying to picture this in my head, too. I'm thinking shifting gears to Naomi, right? So she's put this whole plan together. Ruth, go to it. Let's see what happens. So it doesn't say in Scripture. I'm not sure if she was pacing back and forth all night. I'm not sure if she was sitting quietly. But I'm pretty confident she wasn't sleeping. And I'm also pretty confident she was in prayer. And so as Ruth comes walking through the door, let's see how the rest of the story unfolds. Verses 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. Notice Naomi's resolve. She hears everything that Boaz has done. She sees the gift of grain, and it just cements everything that she had hoped for. God's law had provided. They had taken action. They had walked in steps of faith. And now, because of how they've seen Boaz live, she's confident he's going to take care of this today. He's done this every other step of his life. He's going to handle it today. 
this story is an awesome example of Hesed love and obedience, and we can certainly learn a lot from it. But this just didn't happen thousands of years ago and God was working there. This is happening now in our lives. God can use our love and living in obedience to change the lives of the people around us, just like he did with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. You know, in my journey to salvation, God used so many people in so many ways, just taking really what they may not even realized was a step of faith and how that impacted me and how it brought me to the Lord. I've already mentioned Bridget, and she continues to be that example for me. But there were so many what I thought were random things, you know, as I was approaching salvation. I had a phone call with an acquaintance. Um, Supposed to be 10 minutes. Ended up being two and a half hours during a car ride where he explained to me what it meant to be a Christian man, what it meant to be a Christian husband and a father, to be someone who really said, I believe in Jesus. And it challenged me in all areas of my life. His step of obedience, taking time out of his day to share his faith, had a huge, huge impact on me. I also learned a lot. Um, I had a chance to go on a uh, short-term mission trip with uh, Jen and Drew. And one of the things that I learned as they were sharing their faith with me was their approach to prayer. They pray about everything. They put it all in God's hands. And I had never thought of that before. But by them taking that step of obedience, going on a mission trip, but then spending time with me and sharing their faith with me, again, took me steps further in my faith and understanding my love of God. He used Brian for me uh, in a major way. When we were still at the movie theater, uh, we'd have people up front. You could ask for prayer. And I was sitting in my seat and literally like I'm just shaking. Like the Holy Spirit would not let me sit still. Like I had to pray. I didn't know what I wanted to pray about. But I went up front to this guy that I barely knew and said, I don't know why I'm here. But because Brian took those steps of faith in serving and reaching out and praying with me, again, took me so much further in my journey. I could go on and on and on, and I look around at so many of the people here, and I could, if you guys have a couple hours, I could do that, but I could pick out each and every one of you how you have taken steps of loving obedience because of your faith in Jesus Christ, that you've had an impact on me, you've had an impact on my family, you've had an impact on so many people sitting here in this room and so many people around the world. You just never know how God is going to take your faith, your obedience, and turn that into something incredible. But the one thing we cannot lose focus on is that all of that sounds good, it's all great, but there's only one way it can happen, and it's through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All the examples I just shared with you, all of them pale in comparison into the perfect way that he lived in loving obedience to his Father's will. All of this points squarely at that never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love that God showed us through his Son, Jesus Christ. And we saw it in so many examples in the way that Jesus lived. 
Two that come to mind in the desert. Think about when Jesus was being tempted by the devil. He could have caved in to his human side and, and made bread, had water. But what did he do? He went to Scripture. He went to God's Word and followed God's will. And think about the garden. Just hours away from knowing the death that he was about to face. The pain, the suffering, and ultimately the separation from God, his Father, who he's lived in perfect unity with. And he asked God, take this away from me. I don't want to do this. I know what it's going to mean. But what did he do? Not my will, but your will. That is living in loving obedience to the will of God. That is our example, and that is the Lord and Savior that we follow and worship. He's a God that loves us with this unwavering covenant that we do not deserve. We've turned our backs on God, but he's reached out to us and giving us his own son to take the punishment that we deserve so we can have an opportunity through the gift of grace to get back to the Lord. But just as Brian talked about last week about taking action, we have a responsibility in this. We need to take action. We have to repent of our sins. We have to first understand there is a God that we're accountable to and that we have sinned again. Repent and then receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when you take that step of faith, when you finally understand what that true, committed, hesed love that God has for us, your life changes forever. It just has to. When you're faced with that, you want to pursue God's will. You want to live in obedience. And you want to set your own desires aside. And it's for his glory when we do live that out consistently, never perfectly, but always increasingly, God will use that. I want you to think about as you're leaving today, what small steps of faith can you take that is going to impact your husband, your wife, your kids, your next-door neighbor, total stranger, your co-workers? You never know who is watching you and how you're living your life consistently in God's love and how he's going to use that obedience to change the world. I urge you today, put your faith in the God who loves you unconditionally. Live your life in obedience to his will and just watch what Almighty God does with it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incredible picture of love that you've shown us today in the lives of Ruth and Boaz. But thank you, God, how it even points more directly to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the perfect example of living a life of love and obedience to your will. God, as we leave today, I ask that for each one of us here, call to mind areas in our lives where we're not living consistently in love where we're not being obedient to your will. 
And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you work in all of our hearts to soften them and to realize that God's will is the best way for us. God, we pray all this in your Son's holy name, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.